This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Florence Emilio Meyer. Florence is a senior teacher at the Center for Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, where she also directs OASIS, an institute for mindfulness-based professional education and innovation. She holds degrees in both education and psychology and is a licensed family therapist. Florence has developed mindfulness-based programs for adolescents called Cool Minds, and for educators, a program called The Aware Teacher. With Sounds True, along with Saki Santarelli, the director for the Center of Mindfulness, Florence has created a new comprehensive online training in MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, an online training that includes 23 hours of video content, exercises, and online support. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Florence and I spoke about the process of remembrance. We also talked about the practice of what's called interpersonal mindfulness. We also talked about mindfulness practice and healing from trauma and how to take a pause if you're feeling overwhelmed or under-resourced. Finally, Florence shared with us a brief mindfulness practice we can use whenever we feel the need to return to ourselves. Here's my very helpful conversation with Florence Melio Meyer. To begin with, Florence, I'd love to know how you personally came to the practice of mindfulness. Oh, okay. Well, um, I was, uh, I guess I've always been interested in meditation and in uh, awareness and and uh, so I, I came to meditation in my teens, and uh, and I began really formal practice in about 1975 with city yoga meditation. With um, I met Muktananda, Swami Muktananda, and uh, studied in India and in the U.S. and eventually led read, uh, led a meditation center for about almost nine years uh, out of my home in Long Island and was teaching Siddha meditation for a number of years and then also uh, worked as a family therapist um, working with a lot of trauma and running uh, 
groups for people who had experienced trauma in their lives at a mental health facility. And I kept feeling that I was teaching meditation and meeting suffering very directly, but I couldn't bring them together. And so in the early 90s, I came to the stress reduction program and um, came to train really to to find more refined ways or more accessible ways to bring meditation and mindfulness to uh, the people I was working with. So, uh, you know, it feels like mindfulness is really universal and the many different ways of meeting it, but the way it was defined uh, with John Kabat-Zinn's work felt so... Uh, easy to bring to people and unthreatening and uh, very graspable. So that was actually, you know, how I began my own practice of mindfulness, meditation, and then uh, very specifically with MBSR, and then began practicing uh, with insight meditation as well. Now, it's easy for me, uh, relatively easy, to understand mindfulness as a formal practice. I'm now going to spend 20 minutes practicing mindfulness of the breath or mindful eating or anything where I, I know that I'm going to set aside a period of time and I'm going to intentionally put all of my attention into what's happening in the present moment. But I know you work with mindfulness in a formal way and then also what you call applied mindfulness, mindfulness in the midst of your life. And that's the part that's harder for me to appreciate. Can we really be mindful all the time in everything that we're doing outside of these formal practice periods? Well, I think uh, being mindful all the time sounds... um uh, extremely challenging, like some some level of perfection to it. That I think that we wave in and out around the um, quality of our attentiveness and the the brightness, the present moment sharpness of it, and that's fueled by the intention to be present in any given moment. So there's times when, no, it's, it's you know, we're, I, I can speak very personally. I'm moving into a kind of automatic uh, place, but the more I practice, uh, both formally and intentionally, informally, it starts to inform the almost micro-moments during the day. So... Um, you know, and those build up. But I do feel like it, we there's there's a, a kind of a flexing in and out around how very clear it, the the quality of awareness or quality of mindfulness is during the day. But it's it's right there to be met moment to moment. Sometimes when I'm most lost is when I remember most strongly, <laughs> too. Do you have a sense of how much formal practice of mindfulness is really required in order to have it start seeping into our everyday life when we're not formally practicing? Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of studies going on with that question. 
You know, is it uh, 10 minutes that there's uh, evidence of changes in the brain or are there, um, is it 30 minutes a day that develops greater strength and the flexibility around remembering once one has forgotten where one is? I think it's more, uh, Tammy, around the um, regularity that doing something every day is the continuity of building a, a muscle of remembrance. And so, you know, do, practicing, even if it's uh, 10 minutes one day and another day it's 30 and another day it's 45 minutes, somehow that intention and choosing to practice and, and bring this wakefulness into one's life uh, creates greater, it feels like tensile strength, you know, this ability to flex and and grow with the practice. But um, regularity matters a lot. Now, you've used this word a couple times, remembering and remembrance. Can you explain more what you mean by that? What are you remembering when you Hmm. return to mindfulness? Yeah, thank you. For me, the remembering is touching into um, a spaciousness, a sense of wholeness, um, presence, being awake just now. Um, and and from that place of remembering, I could even use the word to to the word member, you know, to reconnect with the body with this physicality, the aliveness of the body with the breath, of what's in actuality. And there's this, you know, remembering and then the drifting off and forgetting. And some of the forgetting gets uh, me or one caught in strong identification around uh, perception, the way I'm seeing the world or, or the ideas and opinions of the world, and when I remember, there's a return to wholeness, a return to uh, it feels uh, like a sense of greater freedom, even if it's if emotions are um, turbulent. There's a greater spaciousness holding those. Do you use any? reminding devices, you know, sometimes people put post-its on their bathroom (laughs) mirror or refrigerator or things like that. I choose certain moments in the day to, um, to consciously remember. Uh, one for me is when I step out of my house in the morning before I have a a long drive to work, and just the moment I'm facing east and I see the sunrise and the colors in the sky and feel the air and feel myself standing there and the um, the choice to say, here it is, here's this moment at the start of the day that's completely unknown. So that's a reminder for me. I've never been good with Post-its. <laughs> You know, to have a, a sign on the phone that says breathe or something, I just overlook it after a while. It becomes just um, a bunch of words. But 
it's more if I can um, choose times in the day to help me anchor. And so there, you know, there there are a series of those. And then after a while, even if I'm rushing, it's almost like that remembrance comes back to me. It, it supports me. And so the stepping out of the door is like, oh, here it is again. I think, too, that's the value of uh, repetition and of uh, frequency around practice. Now, you said there were a series of moments like that beyond yeah. the stepping out of the door. I'd love to know what those are. I think they might be helpful to people. Okay. Um, I keep trying to add to these uh, to these during the day. One is uh, moments of eating and uh, to pause and really feel into the this moment of the food, the the colors, the tastes, the texture of the food, the moment of being um, uh, nourished. So uh, a sense of gratitude with that. Um, before going to sleep, the following the breath into drifting off to sleep is one. And with waking up, a practice I really love is um, just in the morning, sensing my body, and then this moment of placing my feet, coming out of the bed and placing my feet on the floor and just feeling myself taking the weight of standing. It's also just a moment of like, here, I'm awake, I'm alive in this moment. And it's extremely full. It's, it's very nourishing. You used another interesting word. You talked about anchoring yourself in some sense in the present moment. And you've been talking a lot about sensations. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more about this idea of how you anchor yourself in the process of remembrance. Well, these moments, um, particular choices around these moments feel like an anchor to what's actual in the moment, to feeling into the body. Um, the breath often, awareness of, of the breath is an anchor that immediately gathers my energy to the moment I am alive. And that awareness of this breath in this moment, um, because the breath is only happening now, um, all the mind activity of what's about to happen, what's required of me, and what is, uh, you know, whatever I'm perseverating on about what just happened is can come right fully into this present moment with um, that anchor. Okay, this is kind of an odd question, Florence, but I want to ask it, which is, how do you feel about being mindfully unmindful? And what I mean is just saying, okay, I'm going to spend the next five minutes completely not being mindful, and I know I'm going to do it. <laughs> My, well, actually, then that is being mindful. <laughs> mindfully unmindful? Mm. 
Well, the closest I can relate this to is uh, it just makes me laugh to think of that because it's it's kind of like a question like, you know, what do you do when you don't know what to do? It's it's uh, choosing to be unmindful uh, is actually being uh, mindful. So there are times when, you know, uh, I can relate this to is when... Um, I've just done a tremendous uh, amount of work, and I'll say, that's it, you know, that's, I'm just going to watch something on television, or um, I'm going to, even, I don't know, I can say go for a walk or something, but even that feels like I'm aware of the uh, the senses taking in the experience, so... Um, I think watching something on television, like watching something sort of stupid or, you know, on TV, that's a good example of saying, you know, I've really been practicing mindfulness. Maybe I just finished a retreat or maybe I've just had a a day of really focused attention. And now I'm just going to be a zombie for the next 30 minutes. But I know I'm mindfully choosing to do that. I'm just curious what you think about that. Um. I, it comes back, Tammy, to the fact that choice is such a big part of mindfulness, of practicing awareness uh, and choosing to be aware. It's like this intention to pay attention. So in some way, the the what we're looking at here is what's the quality of attention? So there's this element of choice that's activated, but it may be that the um, attentiveness is much more loose. It's not quite as sharp and focused. And so it's allowing a more, even to say relaxed kind of focus, a more diffused focus, perhaps. Like watching something sillier, but still the choice is engaged. The choice to just, just... hang back, kick back for a while, which I think is really necessary. I think that's very important. I think sometimes um, uh, when when people first begin practicing mindfulness, there's a great efforting that can happen, a kind of a striving to be very, very attentive. It's almost like people would, you know, sort of wide-eyed stare in, in what, stared at one another in the eyes like that. It's um, And it can ease up so that being mindful or choosing to relax, choosing to be at ease, choosing to kick back for a while is all possible. And it's possible to be mindful within it, but not um, striving. So it's lightening up on that part of it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in talking about your background that you've worked with people who have experienced trauma. And I'm curious what your experience has been in mindfulness being applied in working with people who have a background with trauma. Mm. Well, from working with people with trauma, I'd say one of the key elements for many people, is that one's will was trespassed, that uh, something happened in their life that crossed boundaries 
without their permission. And so mindfulness itself is, as I was saying, it in, it's involved with making a choice. So it's very, it engages the uh, integrity of one's willingness. Not It's not so much this will to, you know, like the striving, but the the willingness to be awake moment to moment. And from that, there comes the possibility for greater compassion and greater skill and a greater sense of uh, what's enough. So with the cultivation of mindfulness comes uh, the ability to care for oneself and to have a, a more sensitive sense of, you know, this is enough, like it's time to kick back right now, or um, it's time to call a friend, or this this sense of what's called for now, how do I best care for myself, uh, that becomes very involved in the work with trauma. So it might be, you know, uh, even if the guidance is like a full body scan, it might be enough to do uh, moving the uh, hands in circles and the feet in circles and feeling those sensations and allowing that to be enough. So there's much greater sense of uh, caring for one's boundaries. In fact, the way that MBSR is taught is so much around discovering what's my what are my limits right now whether that's in a stretch or whether that's uh in in some kind of emotional investigation that's happening and for many of us we don't know we that that takes a lot of experimenting to feel into what's that edge for me and when there's been trauma that has been um, hurt in some way. So cultivating this learning around um, being gentle with oneself and even being conservative at first with uh, what are those limits. So it's very deep. It's very, I feel like it really touches quite deep healing. Can you help me understand if I'm working with an emotion what you mean by finding my limit with that emotion through mindfulness? Yeah. So there can be times when, um, oh, let's let's take an emotion. Let's take um, anger, or let's let's stay with anger for a moment. So if um sensing a feeling of uh of even beginning to recognize how that manifests in the body maybe there's a sense of heat or the stomach tightens or there's uh a fluttering at the the gut or or a you know pumping at the heart uh, that comes with the anger so noticing right there ah here's the body is responding to this. And touching into uh, and learning more about what's the range here. It could move from frustration 
to irritation to a greater sense of anger, moving right to rage. And so as one gets to know oneself more, feeling into, I would say, first of all, the body as the a stress detector itself and getting very familiar with how the body registers emotion is key. And then from there, being able to make choices around, is there a choice to move into the story and the content of this? Is it possible to allow the story to be known but not the not um, uh, featured as much as allowing the body to to uh, register what this emotion is, uh, how it's reflected in the body, and then the story can be um, explored. So the the more it can come into this. Uh, particularly sensory element can allow a lot, a lot of uh, choice and a lot of greater insight into oneself. Because very often the emotion rises strongly and we move into reactivity. We want to push it away or we want to uh, totally engage around the story. And with giving the emotion a range to be expressed but not acted on, there's a possibility here to uh, develop greater skill and sensitivity with oneself and fluidity with emotions. Now, one of the things that's really interesting to me about our conversation so far is this emphasis on choice and, you could say, choosing mindfulness choosing to be mindful in different moments. And, you know, you mentioned your meditation background, and often in meditation traditions, they talk about the practice taking you out of a sense of self, out of the sense of the chooser, just bringing you into this big, vast space where there's no sense of the self. And yet it seems like choosing one could think, well, you know, there's me making these choices. And I'm wondering how you work with that paradox in MBSR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes there can be um, almost a, a spiritual bypass into uh, the spacious, empty, uh, non- no self. And uh, I mean, the Dalai Lama talks about there's a sense of self. You know, there's a, a, there's a great, I love this quote from uh, um, Suzuki Roshi where he's asked, how, um, how much ego does one need? And he says, just enough to not step on the street and get hit by a bus, you know. <laughs> so I think this sense of choice <clears throat> is here. It might be perceived as discernment, as as choosing to kind of uh, t- uh, tack the sails of your life and turn in a certain way. I think just spiritual practice itself involves the choice to be awake, the choice to um, engage with discipline, and uh 
and to engage with the discovery of what is possible in terms of the layers and layers we call me. So it's, you know, to to leap over into um, a kind of a non-self, uh, it's there, but it's, but it, it, it also has these layers of discernment. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. One of the areas of applied mindfulness that I know you've done a lot of work in, and I'm quite curious to know more about how it actually plays out in real life, is this area of interpersonal mindfulness. And I'm wondering if you can talk some about that and introduce this term to our listeners. Sure. The interpersonal mindfulness? Yeah. 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 I, I love this. Um, I've studied a lot with the... Uh, Gregory Kramer, who developed Insight Dialogue. And this is a meditation practice that you're, you're engaged with another person in dialogue while both people are both uh, in full uh, choice of being awake. So dropped in and aware of the words that are rising, aware of the hearing, how we receive and exchange in a space of mutuality. And so it's not communication exercises at all, but it actually has the potential, just as I was speaking about with these layers of, uh, of individuality, of choice, and of spaciousness as well, that can be touched in one of the most challenging places. To, I'll go back to that word, to remember, to, to choose to be awake, to choose to be present, uh, to choose to attend moment to moment. One of the most easy places for us is when we are in contact with one another, which is often Uh, But in that place, it's so easy to have a you and a me that goes into separation and a you and a me that might be comparing mind that rises from this of uh, of a sense of better than, worse than, same as. And to be actually there with a contemplation that's the topic of conversation and the contemplation might be something uh, like that is a shared human condition like aging or illness or impermanence, judgments, 
um, speaking of roles that we inhabit in our lives and to to be in relationship and be in choosing to be awake together one's practice actually supports the other person's practice to be present and awake now that sounds very lovely and i would like to actually try interpersonal mindfulness in that form in that particular training form. But I'm also curious about, you know, here you're with your partner, let's say, your intimate partner, and he or she says something and you notice all of your signals inside your body start to shift and you can't believe that you want to get out of the car, let's say, while this, you know, it's like, stop the car, I'm getting out, I'm, I can't handle this conversation. And, you know, we all know we've all been in that experience. How, yeah. <laughs> how, how can we remember when everything in us, how, I mean, anything like interpersonal mindfulness, I mean, I can do it when I'm by myself walking out of my house, you know, eating uh, my meal. But when my partner says something that just flips all my switches, I don't have a hope or prayer of remembering anything. And it will happen, as you know. I mean, it's just as you said. I mean, there there will be times when we completely uh, forget it all and just go into high, high reactivity. Um, so it's a place for compassion for the for how sensitive we are and how easily uh, we our vulnerability can be triggered. I mean, there's that and. There's also the um, the practice of being present with the body in activation. It's like we we might feel like we we just can't get out fast enough, as you're saying. I want to run. I mean, the fight or flight goes right into high high pitch here, and so it might be in that flare of reactivity. We're offline, but as soon as we can to be able to say, whoa, you know, look what just happened. And perhaps if there's enough, uh, enough agreement in the relationship to be able to say, I'm just like, I'm just totally triggered right now and I can't, I, I need to stop to, to, to get some space. To get some space, care for oneself, connect with the body, connect with the heart that somehow just got triggered, um, and and not have to figure it all out. But it, I think this is a place that the wisdom of stopping or pausing is essential. And that is part of the interpersonal practice, is really pausing when uh, we're just lost in our story or lost in our reactivity. So, uh, you know, this could happen many times. And when it's a high challenge time, it, as soon as we can catch it afterwards, I, I, I mean, personally, that's what I've had to do, is just sort of say, wow, you know, look what just happened. And and I can't, I, I can't see clearly yet, so it's better not to engage in another conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Now, Florence, I know you've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people now mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I'm curious to know what part of the program, if there is a part, 
seems to be the most challenging for people? Oh, hmm. I think establishing a daily practice is one of the uh, one of the real challenges for people. Um, a lot of times, people are um, they'll they'll take the program because they they feel they have not enough time in their life. They're feeling the pressures, the demands to do more in less time. Um, And and I think many of us experience how real that is, the pressure around um, how the instantness of our, of our culture and our work lives at times. But, um, and then they come into a program and are asked to establish, uh, to take some time. It's a literally carve time because if we wait for it, it's never going to be, it's never going to show up. But it's a matter of like taking a stand that this is something I want to establish in my life. And that's very hard for a lot of people. So it, it takes a lot of encouragement, um, and checking in what, what are you discovering in your own practice here? How are you making the time? to uh, To build a practice in your life, and the informal practice is a wonderful avenue to start threading it through the day for sure. But the formal practice becomes uh, such a touchstone uh, that that regularity that builds greater and greater reliability to remember. And how can you help people who just say, you know, you're you're right, Florence, you hit the nail on the head. That's my challenge. I can't seem to figure out how to practice every day. I do the informal part, but I just don't have a formal practice. How can you help inspire people or work with their resistance around that? Well, I think, you know, it, there's something around the fact that... Um, making... Uh, a commitment to oneself it's is really a worthwhile endeavor <laughs> that there so many of us are fast to offer to others to care for others and so many of us um, have demands on our lives for caring for others whether it's at work or in families parenting caring for elders and so, so many and so much heart is involved in the longing to help and support other people's lives. But it really begins at home. It's, it's like we can't give if we're running on empty. And so this uh, taking time to have healing intervals, not just the, the little ones, the informal ones matter, but to allow oneself a period of time that is for being uh, and not the doer. If, even though there's, you know, there's activity with practice, but the heart of it is allowing oneself to be and knowing that that is nourishing. Also knowing that that is a way of building resources so that when the demands are high, there's actually something to draw from 
that has been invested in one's own life. It's that place that will help one recover more quickly from being triggered with, you know, an argument with a partner or um, getting news that suddenly shocks you. It's that daily practice that will build uh, resilience. So uh, repetition, even if it's you're very busy and you have 10 minutes, that matters. And it, but it's the choice about one's own life, about not missing this life, and and not just the surface, but taking it deep into deep questions of what do I want with this precious life? What do I want to do with it? What? How do I want to live? Beautiful. Now, I know in mindfulness-based stress reduction in the training that you help people work with perception. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Mm. Sure. Um, I would say, you know, that perception is one of the key elements in how much stress uh, we, we encounter and how much it impacts us. Uh, So uh, and and often perception is uh, very much focused on sort of seeing the world, but it's also feeling. So this sense of uh, cultivating a greater sense of the, the perceptiveness of the body, the sensory field of the body. But if um, if I am perceiving, I can give you an, uh, an example. If I'm perceiving something as um, threatening in some way or overwhelming in some uh, particular way, then my reaction to that is going to be uh, stressful. I'm going to be feel stressed by it. If if I see it as something that's challenging, but I can learn from it it's going to have a different impact on me. I'm going to meet it differently. So an example I have around this is I was asked to, a while ago to speak at a conference, and uh, it was a really big conference, and I got this envelope in the mail with all the details that I had to fill out, and I was very time-pressed. And I, as soon as I saw the envelope, I started feeling my palms get sweaty and my uh, face flushed, and I, and my heart pounded a bit. And and then I, and because I was aware of the body, I was like, "Whoa, something's happening here!" You know, this, this here it is. It's a bona fide stress reaction here. And and as soon as I could name what it was, I just put it down and I stepped away for a while and I actually went to wash dishes and there's something in just being present with the water and the the feeling and the warmth of the water the the taking care of a daily task around this that helped me ground more and collect my energy and then when I felt more stable I I picked up the envelope again and I said I looked at it and it was very doable I could see it more different. I could see it much more doably than I first had seen it through the lens of overwhelm. So it 
I was able to step away, ground with the body, take care of myself in the moment, and then uh, re-enter the same situation, but differently. So we'll often say, what are the glasses you're wearing? You know, how am I looking at this situation here? Is it challenging? Is it overwhelming? Am I caring for myself? Do I feel up to the task? Do I need some space? Do I need uh, to consult with someone who might be able to help? I think a lot of people can relate to what you're saying and have experiences in their life where they feel overwhelmed by something, but they think, you know, I just I should probably just push through. Yeah. How do you know when you should just push through or when you should, you know, I'm afraid if I take a break, then I'll never get it done and I've got so much to do? Well, you know, I think that uh, the the idea of taking a break may sound like, you know, going to, you know, an island in the Caribbean for a period of time, but it could be a split second. It could be a moment of coming to the breath, of saying, I'm, this is a this is a tall order in front of me, and so I'm going to just take a few moments to feel myself sitting, to feel the breath, to um, to open to the challenge in front of me, and and just that choosing to connect, to uh, to ground in the present moment and to meet the experience more fully, it, it, it actually saves time. Because often if we leap into it with, our, with a lot of tension, a lot of pressure, um, our clarity isn't as sharp. There's more, there's more agitation at work. So even a few moments of grounding and settling can um, move the project or, or whatever the challenge is, move the work uh, more skillfully. Now, Florence, I know that you're quite an innovator within the field of MBSR and bringing MBSR to different populations. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the work you're doing in education and also with adolescence and and how you see MBSR being introduced to different audiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I the um there are many actually, you know, because mindfulness is innate is a it's an innate human capacity in all of us and can be Cultivated, a, a, a tensional strength can actually be cultivated. It, it can apply, the values of it can apply across a lifespan. And there are many people who are bringing it from the first moments of uh, gestation with uh, pregnant couples to, uh, to the last breaths in palliative care. And when I was working at this mental health facility, um, it was part of this place was a residential center for children who were in state custody and because their families weren't the safest places for them. 
And it was at that time also that I wanted to find ways to bring the value of meditation to these adolescents who had already suffered so much in their lives. Um, Being at the Center for Mindfulness, I continued with that. And uh, another influence on me was the uh, parents, a lot of adults in our MBSR classes would say, oh, if only I had this when I was a teenager, or if only my child could be uh, introduced to these practices, I think it would make such a difference in their lives. So all of those influences came together for me around children and around uh, how to strengthen this generation. It sounds so big, but it's. I feel like we really have a responsibility to offer to the uh, generations that are growing up and will inherit the world and, and the number of challenges around the ecology and financial situations and global issues. You know, what do we need? What do these children really need? Um, memorization isn't going to be as as important as collaboration, as uh, self-awareness, as finding ways to touch what is deepest and truest in, in, in every human being so that respect can grow for oneself and everybody. And so that, you know, for, for youth, I felt that this was really important. And from seeing the power and impact and brilliance of the MBSR program, I, I, was, I brought it to uh, adolescents, and I've trained uh, professionals to deliver it as well. I'm um, hoping to, you know, bring this out more into the world, but the, um, it, the, t- the name of this program is called Cool Minds, and uh, when when um, the kids here took it, they were a n- lot of different realizations that they had. They found it hard to find time to practice. That was one of them. They did do more informal practices, and they, um, but they found that the pausing w- was uh, a resource for them from jumping into reactivity, whether that was judgment of themselves or another. Um, a sense of common humanity uh, was showed increases that they could see that that their own uniqueness and the beauty of who they were, but also of one another, began to grow. And particularly around the 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 crisis of bullying right now, that felt it feels so essential. So for youth, I feel like there's multiple. Um, uh, potentials here for them. And with work with educators, um, what I have felt was that to strengthen the people who are in direct contact with kids is uh, a very strong avenue. So that, you know, if, if in a day one teacher introduces a few moments of awareness of breath or of uh, moving the body with awareness, that that's going to build in a student's day. And it's also going to um, 
uh, nourish the teachers who so often are highly dedicated and under intense duress with uh, just the way the educational system has such high demands right now. Well, I want to thank you for the work you're doing on behalf of all of the people who are listening. Thanks for Cool Minds and the Aware Teacher. Thank you for those programs. I'm wondering, Florence, as we end our conversation, if you might be willing to offer a short mindfulness practice that we could all do with you right now that might be useful if somebody finds themselves in a situation and they think, you know, I'm clearly uptight right now. I feel overwhelmed. I need to pause. I need to stop. I'm not quite sure how to relate to myself, but it's clear that I need to do that. Could you take us through maybe just a five-minute practice that I could do in a situation like that? Okay, sure. I'd I'd love to. So the, um, the key here is pausing and choosing to connect with yourself as you are right now. So there's no need to have any idealized condition right now. If you're feeling tense, noticing that. If there's a longing in your heart, being present with that. If the mind is filled with thoughts and feeling pressured, just stopping with that, being present. It's like this right now. This is the way it is. Making space for it to be known. And now, sensing into the body. Feeling, if you're standing, feeling the body receiving the force of gravity. Feeling the pressure at the feet. Gravity pulling at the shoulders, at the jaw. And also sensing the anti-gravity, the uprightness, the lift and buoyancy of the body. If you're sitting, sensing into the contact, feeling how your body is receiving the support beneath, the legs, the buttocks, the support at the back, the contact and warmth of your hands. And now sensing the breath. And without needing to change the breath in any way, just sensing the flow and rhythm of the breath. When the mind wanders from the breath, inviting yourself back. Sensing if the breath is deep and long or if it's shorter, 
just like this right now. Allowing attentiveness to ride on each in-breath and each out-breath. Each breath is a new beginning. So when you find that you get caught in thinking and planning, it's it's okay. Just simply noticing that is a moment of being awake. And you can escort your attentiveness right now, right to this breath. Now, if you'd like, you can stay present with your breathing. And if you would like to expand here, you can expand to bringing the entire body in awareness. Sensing the body from the feet and the legs. the lower and the upper torso, hands and arms and shoulders, the neck and the head, face. Embracing the entire body and awareness with sensations at the level of the skin and muscles and perhaps deeper in the body and the form of this entire body. Pulsing, throbbing, temperature. Coming home. Coming home to this moment. Coming home to awareness. Full awareness here with the body as it is. Making space for whatever emotions and whatever thoughts may be present. Allowing yourself to be as you are just now. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I've been speaking with Florence Melio Meyer, along with Saki Santarelli, the director of the Center for Mindfulness. Florence has created a new comprehensive online training on mindfulness-based stress reduction. This program, which has been taught in person now to over 20,000 people, is available online, a comprehensive training in MBSR. Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.